I went today to a um, celebration for one of the Insight Retreat Center residents who was moving out, and there's always a little party when people move out. So every now and then I get invited back for one of them. Some of you know I used to live there. I was one of the first residents. And it was um, very joyful because this particular person uh, was kind of launching herself also into her own business, a catering business. And uh, after having sort of trained herself as a retreat cook there. And so um, I felt it was such a joyful occasion. And this is the uh, a quality that's actually encouraged in our practice. Sympathetic joy, mutita, joy in the happiness of others, or joy in the success of others. And it's something that we all know would be good, but somehow we don't necessarily find a lot of time for it in our day-to-day life, it seems like. And so then I got to thinking that um, really how sublime that and it literally is, this, the mudita is one of the four sublime attitudes or refuges, abodes. So then I thought I would talk a little bit about, um, about these four what are called Brahma-viharas, which means divine abode, or in other Buddhist traditions they're called immeasurables because these qualities of the heart are boundless. They're not able to be measured. They have no limit. There's no limit on love or compassion and what the heart can experience or put forth. And I thought the way I would frame this is that I was just on a retreat last month where for the whole month, but part of the month was focused on Brahma Vihara practice, on doing these practices formally. And some of you may have done metta practice is fairly common, that people have some kind of a, a loving-kindness or heart practice as part or even the main part of, of their meditation. But the way that these are taught, there's a standard way that they're taught in our tradition that is different from what was done on this retreat. And um, I learned on the retreat that there I guess I would have, I've probably heard this before, but it was, it was brought home to me that there are people for whom this traditional way of teaching these practices doesn't work very well. In particular, the teacher of the retreat <laughs> had said that this, it didn't work for him, and so he had gone to this other way. And so I'm, I've been sharing it in the sen- in the, for the reason that there may be many other people who are thinking, these hard practices don't work for me that well because they've learned this one way that they're typically taught, and maybe this other way would be um, more interesting, or even for those for whom the first method works, this other method may be good too. So I want to talk about it a little bit, and then we'll do it. Um, that's the, we'll do a short guided meditation on that, and then, um, and then we'll see what else happens. <laughs> so um, just to give an overall background, in case some of you are not familiar, these four heart qualities are, uh, I'll give the Pali also, uh, metta, which means goodwill or loving kindness, friendliness, 
it's that sense of befriending, of just wishing well for uh, beings that we meet for ourselves. You know, just an attitude of non-ill will, you know, wanting things to, to be well. And then the, the second Brahma Vihara is karuna, which means compassion. And this is a sense of caring about the suffering of others and even wanting to alleviate it. Having that movement toward wishing for it to be alleviated or even taking action. The older tradition that we study from uh, separates meditative compassion from action in the world as being two, like not completely separate realms, obviously, but it has two different words for them. So there's an understanding that you can cultivate it in a particular way on the cushion, and then something else might be needed to apply it, essentially. Um, but they're, of course, very related. And then the third is this one I mentioned, mudita, sympathetic joy. So it's joy in the success or happiness of others. And uh, a sense of delight that they are doing well, and celebration even of their success. And then the fourth, still also a heart quality, is equanimity. Sometimes people think, well, why is that? That sounds so different from these warm, effusive, emotional. Um, but this is also an emotion. It's an open-hearted acceptance of the ups and downs of life and also of, often if it's named specifically, it will be uh, acceptance and, and equanimity toward praise and blame. So we can think about how easily are we swayed by those. And if, if it's not very much, then we have strong equanimity. But an open-heartedness, there's no indifference, there's no closing off, there's still a connection. Um, but it has this balance to it. And these are understood to work together, these four qualities. It may be that at a given time one of them is particularly appropriate, but that having all of them um, present and able to interact is going to give us the most balanced response. So for example, if you are putting out a lot of compassion and not enough equanimity, uh, people can burn out or can become um, saddened by what they're experiencing. Ramaviharas are in some way, vulnerable is not the right word, but subject to imbalance if they're not used in conjunction. So that's just what they are. And then they're, they're meant to be practiced. They're not meant to just say, oh, that's a nice idea, or I wish I had more of that, or I don't have capacity for that one. Actually, these are like any other thing, like mindfulness or wisdom or concentration, they're things that can be cultivated, and there are practices that will strengthen them in us if we wish. And it's uh, actually highly recommended that we include at least one of them, at least some metta. We, we take metta to be the most fundamental in the early tradition, because it softens the heart, warms it, adds some juice, and also um, in the wisdom sense, it challenges a little bit the closeness of our heart, which is one thing we need to work on in becoming awake. And we have particular ways in which our heart is guarded, 
right? We know this for ourselves. And these Brahma Viharas are going to poke at those walls <laughs> in a gentle way, <laughs> but firm. And so you might notice, for example, when I named these, some of them that you may have said, yes, oh, I love those. And other ones, oh, I don't know if I have the capacity for that, or, well, I tried that, or that's a nice one, but if I have too much of that, I'm going to get taken advantage of. You know, things like, we have these little things in the back of our mind, and these are indications of the places where the heart is still in the process of opening. So there's a wisdom component to these also, of starting to challenge our views and our stuck places. So the practice that you've likely been taught about these, if, you, if you've encountered it, is that we imagine particular people in a series um, and then say phrases about them. This is the usual way of teaching this. So for example, for loving kindness, we might use the phrases, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease, may you be at peace, these kinds of phrases, well, well-wishing phrases, and we imagine that we maybe say them silently in our mind and we, while we imagine particular people. And we start with ones that are easy, like a benefactor or some people for ourselves, and then we go to a friend and then to a more neutral person and then to someone with whom we have a difficult relationship. And so this is meant to progressively help the heart to open and if it's too hard, we go back to the easier one. Does this sound familiar? If, if people, yeah, people are nodding their heads. So this is um, this is a fine way to practice any of the Rama Viharas to go through the people and the phrases, and maybe you use an image or something in your mind, and maybe you're told to connect it into your body or with your breath. So there's all these different components to it. This is how the Rama Viharas are uh, described as practices in the later tradition, in the commentarial tradition, I should say. So they're, they're Theravadan, but they come not from the Pali Canon. None of that is in the Pali Canon, um, which is fine. Um, and the particular phrases that are used, such as, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, those are not written even in the commentaries. The phrases there are things like, may you be free from hostility, may you be free from aversion, May you be free from harm, which we can all, which is similar. Um, but those particular phrases about safety and health and so forth, as far as I know, those were invented in the modern West, which is also fine. There's a lot of creativity allowed in Brahma Vihara practice. So um, this teacher that it was, I was mentioning that who taught this retreat last month, he is uh, has a very a lot of anger in his mind. That's just his his main issue, <laughs> and. He knew that, and so he sought help from his teachers when he was first starting to practice and said, I have all this anger, and they said, oh, do metta practice. Here's how you do it. You imagine people, you say phrases, and he was in Sri Lanka, which is where the commentarial tradition is very strong. And so he did this, and he, he was very dogged. He did it for two years, <laughs> and he said his anger did not reduce. And he thought there was something wrong with him. You know, it's like, goodness, I've tried this practice for two years, and it hasn't worked. Luckily, he then, he was um, studying the earlier texts, and he noticed that the Pali Canon does have explicit Brahma Vihara practice that's not about people. 
It's a radiation practice. So you generate the quality in yourself and then you radiate it out like a lamp, basically. There's no people, and, but you're filling your whole body and mind. It's very powerful. You're filling your whole body and mind with the quality. And the more you generate it, of course, the more it keeps feeding back, kind of like a laser, <laughs> and um, generating more. And he said, well, what's there to lose? I'll try this. Of course, other people practice this. He just didn't, hadn't encountered them. And he said it worked beautifully. And if you meet him now, he doesn't have a lot of anger. <laughs> He's very, very loving and kind in many ways. So, it def- so I, I would agree that it worked. <laughs> so, um, so I wanted to uh, take us through that. But I'll, first, um, I'm going to give an image that's very nice that's used in the Pali Canon about this kind of practice in the sutta that talks about the radiation. There's this image for us. Just as a vigorous conch blower could make himself heard without difficulty in the four quarters, that means the, all the directions, so too when the mind, when the deliverance of mind by loving kindness or any of the others is developed in this way by radiating, no limiting action remains there, none persists there. So let's unpack that for a moment. You guys know what a conch is? It's a seashell, big seashell, and it make, you can blow on them. And it makes this um, beautiful, but very kind of low, pit, low, soft sound that's kind of like, really, um, yeah, very um, a, a thick, dense, low sound. It's soft and gentle and pleasant, but very, very penetrating. I don't know if you've ever been around a conch being blown. It doesn't blast your ears out like a motorcycle driving by, and yet um, you won't hear other sounds while it's blowing. It, 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 even, even though it's not actively pushing them out, it has this quality of just erasing and overriding other sounds that are there. And the image, I think, is quite evocative. It, it's about these Brahma-viharas, and when we're radiating them, uh, what it means, that this thing about the no-limiting action, is that the, um, the defilements of the mind, so anger, envy, uh, ill will, the things that are directly countered by the Brahma-viharas, are just simply overridden. <laughs> They're just overridden by this quality that's being developed in the heart. And so it's not, it's not even that we've we're sort of not doing anger at that moment, because, you know, if we're not doing anger while we're writing an email, okay, that's good. Nice not to have anger in the mind. But this is like generating something that um, rots the roots, if you will, of, of those harmful emotions. So Ramaphihara practice is so powerful because, first of all, it's pleasant in the moment. <laughs> it's great to be feeling and generating those good heart qualities, and they are actively cutting the roots of their opposites. So you get the double power of that. What are their opposites? Of course, the opposite of goodwill is ill will. So a sense of grumpiness about other people, irritation, anger. Um, The opposite of compassion is harm. So a thought of harming, revenge, uh, resentment, thoughts of getting back at people or of hurting them or of... um, striking them while they're down, that kind of impulse is uh, eliminated through the cultivation of compassion. 
the opposite of uh, excitement about someone else's happiness is envy, um, jealousy. Uh, the other thing, actually, that sympathetic joy counters is um, it's said to be discontent. The word is arati. Um, what else have I heard? Of, what other translation of that have I heard? Discontent is pretty good. It's um, a sense of, you know, life never works out. You know, that kind of feeling. Everything's always against me or always goes wrong if it can. And so, but having, having joy and success acknowledges that good stuff happens <laughs> all the time to many people. And then um, equanimity, uh, t- the technical thing that it counters is passion. We don't often like to think that passion is a bad thing in our society. But remember that passion originally meant suffering <laughs> due to um, uh, compulsion, basically, right? So if people have a passion or a compulsion for power or for money or for sex that drives their activities and blocks out their ability to focus on anything else, um, you know, that's a, that's a lot of suffering. And equanimity, the ability to be okay with getting or not getting things, with praise or blame, uh, frees up the heart to use all the other brahmaviharas, basically. It, uh, keeps the mind from those those compulsions. Okay, so so think of the conch shell, the conch blower. And we'll do um, do a guided meditation just for uh, I don't know, ten or fifteen minutes, we'll see how it goes. To help cultivate, to help try out this radiation practice. So we'll see how it is. Um, will you sympathetic joy because that's what's on my heart today? Okay, so so go ahead and take a meditative posture and allow yourself to sit comfortably. For Brahma Vihara practice, you don't have to strain yourself. Not that you should strain yourself anyway, but just find something comfortable. Personally, I find the standard meditation posture to be the most comfortable, <laughs> but. Whatever works, and close your eyes if you'd like, and just bring your attention to the sitting posture. Be aware that you're sitting. And it helps in a cultivation practice, a deliberate cultivation practice, to begin with a deliberate intention. So, um, you might formulate an intention for Brahma Vihara practice. It's nice to include an altruistic one, a, a way of benefiting others in some way. But it's up to you. I'll just give you a moment to formulate your intention. And then there's a, a little preliminary for this kind of practice to just check your mind over and see if it has any, at the surface level, we're not digging down, at the surface level, does it have any large defilements manifesting? So strong anger, strong greed, strong desire to harm. You can check, we're not digging for anything, but most likely 
in a setting like this, after having heard a little bit of Dharma, your mind is relatively clear of that. But if not, you can apply a quick antidote of some kind. We want to start with a heart that at least at the surface level is relatively calm. And if you notice that the heart is relatively free at this moment, it's actually good to have a moment of rejoicing in that. At this moment, our mind is pretty clear. I share in some way the qualities of the mind of someone who's awakened. who wouldn't have any hindrances or defilements. I have a little piece of that right now. And then we go on to begin what's called doing the Brahma-vihara. So we deliberately generate a sense of of mudita, of sympathetic joy, of empathetic joy, feeling the happiness and success of others. There are people in the world who had an amazing, wonderful day. Something great happened to them. They were reunited with somebody that they love. Doesn't need to be specific people. We feel in our heart that sense of celebration. There is joy in the world. And at this moment, I'm partaking of it by opening to it. If it helps to imagine a specific person, you can. But they are not the object. The object is the feeling that comes in your heart when you think about how people can be happy and how that makes us happy, too. If you know about mere neurons, you know how when someone is smiling and bright, we feel that way, too. If it helps, we can include also a knowledge of the ethical dimension. In a heart like this, there is no room for envy. What a beautiful heart. Open, happy. And then, like, as if we were riding a skateboard and we've had our foot on the ground, pushing against the ground to ramp up the skateboard for a while, we now switch to being the quality, being Mudita. Stand on the skateboard and just let it go. So just allow that, stop doing the active generating and feel the way it pervades the body and mind to have mudita at this moment, at whatever strength it's coming for you right now. It doesn't really matter. And we imagine that it's embodied in a lamp somewhere in the middle of the body. And it's... There are curtains around it, and all we do is pull aside the curtain to the front, and the lamp shines forth. We radiate it. There's no pushing. A lamp does not push its light out. It doesn't matter if it goes two feet in front of you, or 20 feet, or two inches. 
As long as you're not placing a bound on mudita, it is boundless, it is unbounded. And then we gently pull aside the curtain to the right. The light goes out into the back and to the left and above and below. Boundless Medita, unbounded, shining, passing through the cells of your body and out. And then we just dwell. Of course, the mind will have distractions. If it's a small distraction, you just smile. Of course, the mind got distracted, and gently just open again to the mudita. If it's a longer excursion, you've been thinking for a little while, you can regenerate to the mudita for a short time, and then switch back to being it. You might open the curtain again. Settle back in. This is a form of liberation of the mind. Liberation of the mind by Mudita. object is that beautiful quality of the heart, celebration, the happiness of others. Joy in their success. It's useful with deliberate cultivations to have a clear way of ending meditation. So eventually, 
you're doing this on your own, there will come a point where it's enough, enough radiation. It feels like it's complete. It may not be at that moment right now, but for our purposes, we'll just allow the Brahma Vihara to slowly fade, like letting our skateboard roll to a stop. We're not cutting it off, but we notice that without that intention anymore, it will slowly fade back into regular mindfulness. And it's actually useful to be aware of the diminishment and cessation of the mudita. Allow it to cease. That gives you a chance to notice that this is a conditioned or fabricated state. And that when the conditions for it are no longer there, it, it just naturally fades. There's actually some peace in that. So allowing the mind to just settle into letting go. just to, um, to kind of round this out, I'll offer another set of images. Images are so great for the hard qualities. Um, another set of images that this teacher uses for the four hard qualities that I, I found evocative. And uh, for Metta, he uses the bright sun at noon, you know, like a sense of just shining on everything warmth, uh, undiscriminating, shining of the heart, benevolence. And then for compassion, it's like sunset. So the darkness is near, we are close to, to suffering, but the, there's still the brightness, it's still shining. And the sunset has all these beautiful colors, right? And that's like all the different ways that compassion can manifest, depending on what it's encountering. And then mudita, what we just did, the sympathetic joy is like sunrise. So it's this brightening, this coming forth, um, the promise of the new day, has that joyful feel to it. And then what's left for equanimity? It's the full moon. It, um, it reflects the light, but it doesn't generate its own. Um, equanimity doesn't 
output in the same way, although it can shine like the moon. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't generate light, it doesn't push itself out in any way. So that's the balance, no reaching out, just shining. So I wonder what you thought of the radiation practice. Anybody have any comments on their experience with it? Um, especially if you've done the other type previously, but really any anyone. Yeah, I found it to be very effective um, because I can relate to the, the sort of sensorial quality of it. Yeah. And how it's like it permeates everything and penetrates and it even has a, you can feel the waves. Yeah, that's so right. That it's very visceral. Yeah. More than, actually, I have a, I have a problem, a problem. I find it more difficult to do the traditional practice of living for people. Mm-hmm. Um, this mi- this might be the traditional practice. I'm not sure. <laughs> this is the original, <laughs> but yeah, the the people has more conceptual mind right. in it. Yeah, in the words. Because if it's based on like you know physical sort of phenomena, yeah, it's easier for me to uh, relate to that. Yeah, thank you for that. And it's um, you can imagine. I didn't try to talk about this, but you can imagine that it, it applies well. Like, let's say you've been practicing really radiating, and then even if you're not doing that actively, if you walk into a room, you could have that sense of, you know, everybody's going to be touched by my good heart, or it, it has that sense of, yeah, of being transportable, I, I think. Any other, any other comments? Questions? Yeah. Um, so, I like this too. Um, I, I used to do a lot of guided meditation and I've kind of transitioned more into the silence. Mm-hmm. And I really like both. I'm kind of wondering like the difference because um, when I know like meditation is really about like the non, like non-doing like with guided meditation, it's almost like when I'm sitting in silence, it's more like awareness on a sense or something, the breath, whatever. And then when the mind goes, bringing it back. And then there's like the thoughts there. But then when the guided meditation, it's almost like, like kind of Well, you're definitely um, intentionally creating that state. Maybe that's what, is that what you're trying to articulate, is that there's that sense of intentionality of doing. Yeah. Um, Both are important types of meditation, but they're different, as you said. I would be careful. It's true that non-doing is maybe a good way to say it because we spend so much of our day doing, 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 and the meditation is a way of stepping back from um, so much of that so that we can actually see what's going on. That's usually how I think of the non-doing. But, you know, the intention to be mindful and to, to be present as opposed to just 
spacing out, which we could easily do when we sit down, and we know we do sometimes. That's a doing. <laughs> so, um, but it's true that there's a meditation where we accept a variety of objects, and what we're cultivating is the mindfulness of that. And then there's meditations like this where uh, we're deliberately creating a particular mind state besides mindfulness. So in this case, mudita. Um, For sure, we do both sides in meditation. We have to let go and we have to cultivate. Sometimes we're told it's only one or only the other. But I don't know, I don't think there could be a complete path that didn't do both. But there are times in our practice where we emphasize one more than the other. And so if you're in a time in your practice where it feels like guided meditations or deliberate intentions about cultivating concentration states or metta or something particular doesn't feel valuable, that's totally fine. Um, Fine to sit and to have open awareness, uh, awareness of space, other things that are very... Less, less focused on the doing, or if you're feeling like your practice has gotten a little stagnant or you're drifting, might be a good time to do some deliberate cultivation. This is part of the wisdom that we develop through practice is what's useful for me right now. I'm saying much more than what your question aimed at, but it's such an important topic because people want to know, am I doing it right? How do I meditate? There's a lot of different ways. And... Um, so we explore some of them here at the center, and we're encouraged to play around, be creative, see what see what's working. And if it's not, change. So, did that help at all? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, in an effort to get the terminology right here, you, you talked about four things. Papare, I lost the Brahma Viharas. Brahma Viharas. Okay, and these four characteristics. And Medita covers all those four? Or is no, it's Medita one of the first one. It's the third one. It's the third one. Oh, yeah. okay, yes. So that was the sympathetic right. joy. Wishing well for others. Yeah. Celebrating their I, success. I, I teach Pali as part of my teaching, so I, I use the Pali words and okay. I try to define them when I do, but if I'm not being careful enough, please call me on that. But right. I, I do like people to learn the other words eventually. Yeah. Right. So we have these four ba. Some reason the word's not easy for me. No, it's a Indian word. You could say um, divine so, abode. No, say it again. I'll get it. Brahma, like Bra- the god, Brahma, Brahma and Brahma. then Vihara. Brahma Vihara. Okay, the first yeah. Brahma Vihara is a a, a general well wishing. The second one is um, being compassionate to the struggles of others. The third one is celebrating. Success of others, and the fourth would be equanimity. Mm-hmm. And the traditional method is more, it seems to me, it's a little more conceptual in that it's you're envisioning an object that you're feeling. That's right, it's directed to toward a particular. To, and you see, you're building that up. Mm-hmm. That's the traditional approach, and this alternative way, it's, it's more. It's almost more sensory because it's it, you yeah, don't have an what, object. Yeah. You're, you're you're feeling these. How, well, the, the object these feelings with the ob- the object is the quality itself. It's right. the feeling of the quality. Yeah, that's right. right. And it can fill your body and your mind. So, right. um, 
some people will find more one or more the other, but it's because it has both physical so and mental me, dimensions. One is a little more thinking, and one's a little more feeling, kind of. Yeah. Okay, yeah, if that's how you experience it. Yes, mm -hmm. it is true that for some people, um, just to this doesn't invalidate your experience because I I feel more the way you do. But I'll just point out that for some people, um, having a particular person helps them feel the feeling more. I can see that. Yeah. So if you're a, yeah. of a particular mental type, it's like, I can't get it if I'm just imagining yeah. it abstractly. Yeah. And so you can see how either one would be valuable. That's, but um, I also want to say that I probably used my, this terminology myself earlier on. So this, um, what I just taught tonight, is actually probably the original. It is the original. It's what's in the polycanon. And what's taught quote-unquote, conventionally, is um, from the commentarial tradition later. So probably this is traditional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think for some people, it may be um, the traditional practice in thinking of another person. Can it, imagine it can be another sentient being. Yeah, most people choose other, you should choose other people, generally. Although for the initial generation of metta, some people have so much trouble with people that they're encouraged to choose animals. Right. So you That's can do your, your dog or, right. I know the, a monk once said that um, he chose a squirrel. <laughs> it was the best he could, you know, squirrels are so cute, how can you not like them? Right. So yeah, animals are fine too. Should be living beings. Um, dead people are not encouraged in this practice. I guess I'll say also that I have heard, I haven't found this myself, but I've heard that for some people, using specific people allows them to avoid certain people, <laughs> right? Um, and so, so that goes both ways. So if you use specific people, you can avoid certain people and therefore think that you're being boundless, but you're not quite. If you use, on the other hand, if you use radiation practice, it's possible also to kind of have this general sense of love for all beings, and you've also missed specific individuals that you know that you wouldn't really feel it for. And so maybe I, I this is not academically proven, but I've sometimes wondered if maybe the later tradition started introducing particular people because it was too easy to ignore your enemies with radiation practice. You can just sort of say radiation for all beings in the universe and then somebody says what about you know that annoying uncle that you have you know it's gone <laughs> and so you have to to do the difficult person in the people practice you have to really encounter somebody that you have a hard relationship with i don't know that's why maybe it's good to do both types i don't know the aim is that we want eventually for our heart to be open to all doesn't mean we like everyone it doesn't mean we would invite everyone to our home. It doesn't mean we condone the actions of everyone. No, but we should not have our heart closed because that's a, a limitation for us. So we don't want that. These are actually serious, quite seriously deep practices to really take them a long way, but they can be done at any level. They can be done very simply also. Well, good. I'm glad at least some of you found it interesting and valuable. I'd encourage you to explore it, practice it if you want. Uh, I found it very powerful in the retreat setting. I have also done 
the people practice, and I like that well enough, but I found that, and I don't know if it was just the intent, highly intense retreat setting, but this, for me, generated more powerful feelings and a more stronger sense of liberation of the heart. That was what I was aiming for, and um, I hadn't felt that to the same degree with the commentarial-based practice. more direct. More direct, yeah. yeah just that right lamp image. The, the, the quality. The quality. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just, it feels like it's too easy to get distracted by all the other qualities of that person. Yeah. Like, you know, That's the other thing. Where you don't want to go. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, we, even when we try a friend, you know, we think of our friend and at first we feel meta and then the memory comes, well, there was that time that they did that thing, <laughs> you know, and it's sort of, yeah, getting more complicated. I mean, it seems like it could be helpful to actually do the quality meditation, you know, by focusing on that first, and then ah, bring yeah. the image And then bring images up. You already have yourself filled with creativity. <laughs> yeah, you could try that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.